0: Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I want to welcome everyone listening to us on the King's Cast. Thank you for downloading this. Mark chapter 6, everybody. Mark chapter 6. And I want to read a little bit of the Bible. And This morning, uh, we're going to talk about uh, rejection. Um, I put on Facebook earlier today that we're talking about rejection at King's Church. And I was going to put, and you're not welcome. And Jane said, why are you doing that? I said, it's a joke. She said, well, I don't get it. Anyway, anyway, so I didn't. We're talking about rejection. I guess everyone has been rejected at some point, and so uh, there's no one who can feel today, oh, this has nothing to do with me, because we've all uh, known what it is to be rejected. Um, I've got a feeling that, my, that the tattoo I had this week that says, vote Amelia Lilly, was probably a bad idea and um it's interesting that we, our, our whole culture actually the whole tv thing you know the x factor final and all this it's all actually wrapped around uh, rejection funnily enough if you think about it why do people watch the result show of uh the x factor or uh the dancing thing whatever that's called i refuse to even utter its name uh, or the or the apprentice actually what we uh, what we tune in for is not who's going through but who's not it's a fascinating part of the show who's being thrown out this week is really what it's what the show is about uh, tonight the x factor final um is about who's winning but all the other shows are actually about who's losing and you can bet your boots that when the when the loser is announced on these sorts of shows, whether it's the jungle or uh, you know all the all the stuff that you see, you can bet your boots that the, that the producer he wants the camera focused on the loser because he knows the public at home want to see that. I'm afraid now we don't like to admit this, but this is what the public want to see. Are they going to cry? Are they going to say, "Oh, thank you, Lord Sugar. It's been a real pleasure." what they're going to do, you know, how they're going to uh, respond. And so actually so much of uh, sort of entertainment at the moment is sort of about rejection, how they're going to cope with it. I think Jane and I are a bit too much uh, embroiled in the X Factor thing at the moment because we watch the British one, but we're also watching the, the American one as well, which is much better, of course, and. Uh, But we were watching one the other day, and the girl who was thrown out of the competition uh, completely broke down. I mean, collapsed on the stage and wept into the stage. And all the judges are jumping over the table to get to her. It's a bit late now, but um, there's a whole rejection thing. Well, you've possibly not been on a talent show, although, of course, some of you have because we did one here last year. But you've probably not been on a talent show recently, but you probably have been rejected. And we need to know how to handle it. How are we going to handle being rejected? Here's a bit of Mark chapter 6, where Jesus was rejected. You with me, Mark chapter 6 verse 1? You with me? Say I. Okay, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that's been given him that he even does miracles? And then almost verse 3, it's almost like someone else is talking now. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They rejected him. Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he could not do any miracles there, except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Today, of course, we call that revival, but he felt it wasn't good. And verse 6, and he was amazed at their lack of faith. Then Jesus went round teaching from village to village calling the twelve to him, he sent them out two by two, gave them authority over evil spirits, and he gave them these instructions, take nothing for the journey except a staff, probably because they had to use the lift in one of these places. Take a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts, wear sandals but not an extra tunic. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town, and if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, Shake the dust off your feet when you leave as a testimony against them. Okay, we're going to look at that because that was how Jesus coped with rejection. First of all, just one or two basic facts about rejection. Are you all ready? Seatbelt on. Okay, here goes. Number one, everyone is rejected at some time. That's a basic fact, isn't it? Everyone at some point... is is rejected. Whether that is, uh, you know, romantic rejection. I used to have a great line, by the way. Any of you not married or not dating, here's a little tip for you. I used to say to the girl, what would you say if I asked you out on a date? And she would say, I I would say, no. I'd say, well, I'm glad I didn't ask you then. That's a good line. You like that? That's worth coming to church for, isn't it? Just that. What would you say if I asked you out? Oh, I'm glad I didn't ask you. (laughs) Yes, thousands of times I use that. (laughs) Because I had to. Everyone gets gets rejected. Whether it's a romantic thing, you know, for a job, for uh, you want to, you know, uh, you're in some sort of social group, but they don't want to... Excluded. You ever found out that a whole load of your friends went out for dinner but they didn't phone you? You know, all that sort of thing. And um, so we're all facing this level of rejection sometimes, uh, whether it's, you know, offense. And we must learn to deal with it. We must learn to deal with it. Just listen to me now. I think that when we're rejected, something happens on the inside of us. Two things. And they're both really ugly. Let me tell you what I think they are. First of all, we can feel a sense of uh, anger or loathing. Let me use the word loathing. It may be a bit strong. But a sense of loathing towards the person who's rejected us. I remember one time I spent the whole day going for an interview here in Cambridge at the library. And um, uh, I spent the whole morning with this guy, and he was showing me the library. And I, you know when you interview, you're on your very best behavior, aren't you? I mean, can you imagine me on my best behavior? It's better than this. So uh, I'm going around with him. I'm on my very best behavior for hours. I mean, it's exhausting. And then after lunch, he told me that I was going to be interviewed. I, I thought, what? You've not been interviewing me already? And it was someone else had wasted all that, all that sweetness on him. And they interviewed me. They said, would you like a job at the library, at the desk? Yes. She said, well, she said, I don't know whether this is going to work. She knew I was working here. I was here kind of like part-time, paid at the time. And she said, she said, not everyone who comes in this library is as nice as the people who come into your church. I said, sweetheart, you haven't seen some of the people that come into the church. And it's not so much now, but at the time, there were drunks falling through the door. I remember one time in the middle of a service, please don't get any ideas, but someone came to the front, grabbed the mic and said, it's free speech. I'm going to say something. I thought, well, that probably won't happen in the library. But I didn't, I didn't get the job. You, you could, the, the, you know, rejection kicks in. So the first thing that happens of the two things is a loathing or, a, you know, offense towards the person who has rejected you. And the second thing that happens on the inside of you is a self-loathing that suggests that you deserved this and that you are, you know, you're just hopeless or you're not very nice. That's why you didn't get invited to that party or that's why you are not in that group of people or they don't want to be with you. And so it's this awful double arrow One fires out and the other fires up and hits you in the head. And we have to keep both of these things in check because neither of them are Christian virtues, are they? It's not something that a Christian ought to do either of those things. We're supposed to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, which means we have to love our neighbor and we have to love ourselves. Some people find loving themselves easier than other people do, but we have to love ourselves and we have to love our neighbor. This is what it's. It says about Jesus in uh, the book of First Peter, it says, He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He kept his mouth shut at the time when he was being rejected. The book of Isaiah, we read that he was despised and what? Rejected of men. Jesus was rejected, both in the, in the Easter story and also in the passage that we just read. But he didn't uh, have anything to say. No, no, retaliation was in his mouth. And uh, we know this wonderful verse, Proverbs 4, verse 23. Above all else, guard your heart, because from it come the issues of life. So do, when you get rejected don't you be firing no arrows at anyone? You just got turned down from working for coca cola and you 're straight on twitter coca cola 's ridiculous I like some of these britain 's got talent fine you know um, contestants in the booth. The judges are crazy, or worse still, that sense of oh i'm, I'm just i 'm just hopeless uh you know. An arrow to f- f- firing at oneself. Don't do either of these things when you get rejected because sometimes you will be rejected. Number two, it's important to separate what I've called here sort of genuine rejection from imaginary rejection. What do I mean by that? Well, both, both things hurt when you feel like you've been rejected. But I think it will do us well to actually sift out What is actual, real rejection? And what is just a misunderstanding? We often speak in this church about the ability that many people have to be mind readers. You know, she said this, but what she really meant was this. Well, maybe what she said is what she meant, rather than what you've rewritten it to be. And I think we need to separate times when we've really been rejected and when it's just, just something that just happened, they just didn't have your number, that's why they didn't call you to go out for food. Or or it was, you know, something special. Or they didn't think you were around. Or or you just weren't suitable for that position. Or, you know, whatever the, whatever the scenario is, that God might be greater than what we wanted in our lives. In Psalm 23, uh, we read this, your... Your eyes will see strange sights. Sorry, Proverbs 23. Your eyes will see strange sights and your mind will imagine confusing things. In Psalm 41, David may be paranoid. Who knows? He starts to say, all my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me. I never forgot a time when, uh, many years ago in in, uh, another church, about 300 miles away from here, uh, a man came for prayer. And we were in the midst of quite like a revival atmosphere at the time and we just wanted to be more like Jesus. And that's the prayer that we prayed. We got together and we, Lord, just make us more like Jesus. It's a good prayer to pray, isn't it? At any time. But I was in this zone, you know, of praying for myself, Lord, will you change me? Please change me. I want to be more like Jesus. And unfortunately, I was in this zone, but not everybody was. So one day a guy comes to a prayer and he stands at the front and I go down to pray for him. I put my hands upon him. I said, oh God, change this man. And I heard later that he went to see one of the other pastors to have dinner about that. Because he said, Peter doesn't like me. I came out for prayer because, you know, I've got a bad foot. And the, and the pastor leapt off the stage as much as I could leap, Grabbed me and shouted at God, change him. He said, doesn't Peter like me? And he had a real problem with me for a long time. Well, I didn't mean I didn't like him. He had an imaginary rejection. Now, it still hurt him. I'm sorry I hurt him. And maybe I should be much more sensitive, you know, to people's needs. So I'm not taking any blame away from me. But what I'm saying is actually it was an imaginary rejection. It still hurt him, but it wasn't. there was no motive behind it to, to hurt him. And sometimes in rejection, we must seek out the motive. Would you agree? Seek out the motive. Why has this door been shut in my face? Why did the person say such a thing? And maybe when we get to the motive, we can take some of the sting out of it? Is it real or is it imaginary? And number three here, if we're going to be Christians, not everyone is brave enough to be a Christian. You understand that, don't you? I, I'm amazed when people talk about Christianity being, being um, a crutch, you know, the people to lean on. Really, that's amazing. Because most of the people I've met don't have the courage to be Christians. It's not something for weak people. It's actually for pretty, pretty tough, strong people as well. Because we live differently to other people. We're not proud about it. We're not, hopefully we're not bigots and religious hypocrites and all those things, although we can be hypocritical at times. But actually we're trying to live as best as we can with all our mistakes and all the things we do wrong. We're just trying to live just the way that God wants us to live. And so some of the things that your colleagues at work might like, you may not really uh, you know, join in with them. And that can cause you to be rejected. And uh, I think we should understand that if we're going to really live in a different way, if we're really going to live in a different way, then we are going to find ourselves being rejected. It should be sort of normal, even a compliment at times. To have people think a bit differently about us. And that doesn't make us better than them. Please don't misunderstand me. But if you're going to live differently. I remember one time, my wife and I, we were in Malta. Uh, where we, we got some missionary friends. We were staying in a big hotel during the Euro, one of the Euro matches. And Germany were playing. They were playing some other team. I can't remember who. Maybe Italy. I can't, I can't remember. And uh, we're all sat there. And we're all cheering, you know. Because uh, when the English get, we're well, England and never in the finals, so we always have to decide who we like most. And, and the crowd decided that they—I can't remember—but they didn't want to cheer for the Germans. I don't know why, but they didn't want to do that. And so we're all there cheering for whoever it was, Italy or whoever it was. And we're in the middle of this hotel, and one German man walks in. He's got the German flag painted on his face, German colours. And he sits down, and the Germans score a goal, and up he gets, you know. And then the other team score three goals away, and he walks back, I remember him now, walking back to the lift in the hotel with a German flag on his face. It's a bit like, vote Amelia Lilly on your arm. Well, he, he had to stand out, didn't he? He had to stand out of was, because of what he was committed to. And, and he did. If only actually some of us would have the courage that that man had over a game of football. Can you say amen? So sometimes being a Christian, well actually, if you're going to be a real, genuine, proper Christian, uh, rather than just blending into the background with all the other guys, it, it might get a bit tough. Jesus said this, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, and insult you, and reject you as evil because of the Son of Man. Wow, when they exclude you, reject you, and call you evil because of him. It's amazing what the promises of the Word of God have in store. Luke 10 verse 16, Jesus said, whoever rejects you, rejects me. Okay, let's go back to Mark 6 if you have left it. And let's finish by just looking at the ways that Jesus handled the rejection. What did he do? Because we want to do it the way he did it. And if he can handle rejection, then so can I. But let's look at the way he did it. So here goes, how did Jesus handle being rejected? And it was pretty, it's pretty tough rejection. Because he was rejected in his hometown. Which means the people who were rejecting him were his family, his friends, the people he'd grown up with, and, and his teachers in the Jewish context like the synagogue rulers. But in our context, you know, our, our employers or our, our, our teachers, tutors, People in authority over us, who have some influence in our lives, authority speaking, authority wise, rejected him. His family, his friends, and those in authority over him rejected him. So it's, it's pretty tough. It's pretty tough. How did he deal with it? Let's have a look. Very, very quickly. And maybe this will help us. Number one, he didn't take it to heart. And he didn't allow his identity to be shaped by them. Look at verse 4, Mark 6, verse 4. They've done all the rejection and this is what he says. Only in his hometown, among his relatives and in his own house, is a prophet without honor. I don't know if you notice what he actually does there. But there's one thing he does. He refuses to let them determine who he is. Did you spot that? He doesn't say to himself, do you know what? They've rejected me. I better go back to the carpenter shop. That's it. I haven't haven't made a big hit here. So I must be wrong. No, he, he doesn't do that at all. In fact, he reinforces who he is. He says to them in his own town, A prophet is without honor. Did you see that? He calls himself a prophet among them. He actually says it to them, by the way. And it's not some sort of comeback line. He's not being rude to them. He's just making a point. You may have rejected me, but you are not going to determine who I am. Can you say amen? And in my experience... When people reject us, we take their rejection on board much more than we say actually, uh, uh, you know, in the most polite terms. You mustn't define me. If you're going to live a life of purpose, a real life of purpose, making a difference in the 70, however long years you've got on this, on this earth, I promise you you are going to have critics. If you're going to do something with your life and make a difference, you are going to have critics. People are going to say, they don't like what you're doing. They don't like what you stand for. Or they don't think you're doing what's right. Jesus said we are to love our enemies. That's a kind of a promise that we're supposed to have some. Every now and then, now I better say, better be careful what I say. But every now and then, I'll attend a funeral. I might even do a funeral where somebody says, you know what? No one had a bad word to say about this uh, fella." I think, well, that's nice. Maybe we didn't do enough research. But no one had a bad word to say. Well, actually, uh, uh, and by the way, that's, that's a beautiful epitaph for anyone to have, that everyone liked them. But actually, I suspect that all the movers and shakers in this world, the people who drive things, bring them into being, the people who make a real difference, will sometimes have to get up someone else's nose, or sometimes have to be rejected by people, particularly if we're talking about bringing the kingdom of God into this, into this world. He, he didn't allow himself to take on board their criticism, and it let it change him. Now, Of course, we must say that from time to time, we need to listen to what people say. From time to time, you need to to be able to accept criticism. We're not talking about rejecting all forms of criticism. But it needs to be from the right people. It needs to be in the right context. Jesus did not allow himself to be created by what they thought the only thing that mattered to Jesus was the opinion of his father in heaven. Not the people down there in front of him. So he didn't take it to heart. You really get that impression it would have hurt him. But you don't get the impression Jesus went up on the mountain to sulk. He just simply said, yeah, I kind of, uh, I kind of thought this might happen. The truth is that these people don't know who I am. that's why they're saying what they're saying. They know not what they do. They know not what they do. And I want to say to some of you here today, those listening online, some of the people that have said things about you, actually they just don't know what they're doing. They know not what they say. Because they don't understand you. They don't know who you really are. If they did, they would understand better, but you're odd. You are out of sync with them. And so they they might rail against you a bit. Particularly, you know, younger people trying to go through college or school and trying to stand for Jesus in the midst of overwhelming, you know, the, the tide going in the complete opposite direction. There you are, like a man with a German flag painted on your face. But don't let critics define you. Let God define you. Let the word of God define you. Let godly counsel correct you. But don't let anyone tell you who you are except the spirit of God. Number two, he didn't take it to heart. He didn't allow them to shape him. Number two, he quickly moved on. Can you see this? Verse 6. The second part of verse 6. Then Jesus went around teaching from village to village. That's terrific, isn't it? That's it. I've been been rejected. What are you going to do? I'll I'll just, uh, I think I'll just move on. That's all right. And he just moved on from it. That's why we know it didn't go inside his heart. He, he left it. I've said this many times before, but when I was much younger, my mum taught me this little English uh, phrase, this little English uh, ditty. Sticks and stones can break your bones, but words will never hurt you. You ever heard that? How inaccurate that is. I have the greatest of respect for everyone who ever taught a child that, but they, it's of course it's totally wrong. Sticks and stones may break your bones. Words will break your heart, actually. I remember one time being in a, in a, in a confrontation with some people when I was younger, you know, a kid. And they shouted over to me some insult. So I remembered what my mom told me. So I said, sticks and stones may break my bones. And, but before I could carry on, they were all looking around for sticks. <laughs> stones. So I changed the end. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but but my father's the chief of police. (laughs) Now words do hurt, but look what he did. He just moved on. In a world full of pain. Never mind physical pain, which is immense. But a a world full of emotional pain. We are going to have to learn. It's not default. You have to learn to do it. You have to Make yourself do it. The Bible says we should take captive thoughts. 2 Corinthians 10. And make them obey the word of Christ. So we have to do this. This doesn't come naturally to most of us. But you've got to move on. You've got to move on. That's tricky. That's what he did. Moved on. So you've rejected me. Okay. Tomorrow is another day. Someone won't reject me soon. I'm moving on. That was yesterday. Bye-bye. That was yesterday. I'm moving on. Can you say amen? Moving on. The alternative is you come and sit with a counselor, pastor, a trusted friend, a confidant, your husband, your wife, and and 10 years later, you're sitting there. Do you know what they said to me in 1970? And the people haven't moved on. You've got to move on. You've got to move on. And God helped me to do that. Number three. What we notice here, he surrounded himself with his friends, believers, and carried on life's purpose. Look at verse seven. It says he called the twelve to him and he sent them out to do the mission. Now, I want to just make a very, very clear point here. When I say that he surrounded himself with believers, I mean something today maybe a little different to what I might normally mean. I mean he surrounded himself with people who believed in him. I don't mean he surrounded himself with religious people. I mean he surrounded himself with people who had not rejected him. If you get rejected, it it hurts, doesn't it? It's not easy to move on. It's not easy to shake it off. It's not easy for them not to not to determine your identity, all the things we've spoken about already. But one of the keys, surely, is this. If you're around people who don't believe in you, that's what I'm, talking, I'm not talking about religious belief now. I'm talking about people who've got your back. You understand? People who've got your back. You've got to surround yourself with people who do believe in you. I've left places and I've left scenarios because I felt that people didn't believe in me. Now, I've got to be careful what I say here. I'm not claiming that I am the Messiah. And I'm not claiming that you are the Messiah. But in our lives, there are people who believe in us and there are people who don't believe in us. Do you understand? There are people who've got our back and there are people who have not. What does Jesus do when rejected by his family, rejected by his teachers, rejected by his brothers, his sisters, and rejected by his friends? The next verse, he called the twelve to him. He got people around him who did believe in him. Don't talk about religious belief. People who valued him. People walk out of Jobs, people walk out of churches when they don't feel the deep sense of value. I am not valued. People walk out of a relationship when they are not valued. You've got to have people in your life who believe in you. You've got to have that. Because these are the people who are going to build you up. These are the people, by the way, who are allowed to criticize you. But not everyone is allowed to criticize you. But these people, these people who love you. These people who care about you. These people who believe in you. They are the ones who can speak into your heart. Don't let anyone just speak into your heart. Don't let your inbox speak into your heart. Don't let Facebook determine who you are. But let the people who believe in you determine who you are. Let them build you up. He called the twelve to him. And the second thing we see in the verse, and he sent them out on the mission. He got on with his life. God has got a plan for your life. God has got in fact, many plans. He has an incredible purpose for you. You've got to get on with that. And when you have problems, offenses, tears, pains, insomnia, frustrations, you want to scream your head off. Because life has been so wicked to you. Let me encourage you with this. In those moments, what would the Lord come and say to you? What would he say to you? The only example we've got in the Bible of someone like that is Elijah, who got so depressed he went and hid in a cave. I don't know if it helped his depression or not. I worked in a cave for 13 years. I was much happier when I came out of it. But he went into this cave to hide the book of First Kings. And the Lord appears to him. And there he is, depressed, and he says to the Lord, something like this, oh, I'm the only one left. You know, I've I've been faithful to you, here I am. What does the Lord say to him? It's amazing. Uh, Every time I read it, I'm staggered by how insensitive God is. If only God had gone for a set of lectures with Dr. Phil or something, he'd done it so, so much better. God has not done a course on psychiatry, he has not done your counseling for beginner's course. God just says it as it is. He appears to Elijah, and this is what he says to him. My uh, paraphrase, uh, go back to work. Go, go and do this, go and do that. There's so many who've not bowed to Baal. Go and do this, go and do that. Get back to work. Great. Thank you. I wanted some sympathy. But why does God not give him sympathy? Because he knows what will cure him. And what will cure him is to get on with his life's purpose. You won't be happy until you're in your life's purpose. You know that already, don't you? You won't be happy until you're doing what God wants you to do. And even then, you won't be fully happy because there'll be lots of obstacles. But there'll be something on the inside of you that says, I am where I'm supposed to be. I'm doing what I was designed to do. I'm here fulfilling what I was born to do. That's why God sends him back to work. Because it's the one thing that will heal him. You've been rejected. You've been offended. Hear the word of the Lord today. Just go back to work. Go back to doing what God has purposed you to do. It'll be hard. It's not going to take away all your pain. But you'll find yourself connecting in with fulfillment once again. And you've able to move on. Surrounding yourself with those who really do believe in you. And finally, this one is maybe a bit speculative. It may not apply so much to Jesus, but it certainly applies to us. Perhaps he was even spurred on to especially care for the rejected. A little later in this chapter, we find him feeding these 5,000 people. And in verse 34, that's just the one verse we'll read. Mark 6:34. when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began to teach them and then we know he feeds them. He feeds them with a heavenly bargain bucket. And we know it from the life of Jesus, don't we? Where where could he be found in any given city or town? That's right. With the poor. With prostitutes. Not using their services, but ministering to them. The tax collectors, the despised and rejected of the communities. That's where he seemed to be most comfortable. Maybe Jesus didn't need to be rejected in order to go and help the rejected. Maybe that was just in him anyway. But let me tell you, for us, you've been hurt and wounded. Well, let that spur us on to help others who've been hurt and wounded. Let that spur us on in the words of Second Corinthians chapter 1 to receive the comfort from the Lord and then go and comfort others with the comfort that we ourselves have received from God, to quote the Apostle Paul. Rejection is certainly not the end of you. Just finally here, here are some things God says. It's just straight from the scripture. I'm just going to read them. Psalm 94, an unknown author. We don't know who wrote it. It could have been David. But here it is. The Lord will not reject his people. He will not abandon his special possession. It's a New Living Translation. Beautiful. The Lord does not reject King David wrote this, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. And now finally, the words of Jesus. He says this, if the world hates you, remember, hated me first. Hated me first. How can we handle rejection? Understand that it's normal. Normal. Understand that some is real and some is not. Don't allow loathing to go towards the offender or worse still perhaps inside you. Understand that it's kind of normal for Christians to be rejected. And from Jesus' life, don't take it to heart. Don't let it identify or shape you. Move on. Surround yourself with people who believe in you. Get on with life's purpose. And let it spur you on, if need be, to care for others who've had the same experience as you. Thank you for listening, and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church,